Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. I just want to pick up uh, from where we left off this morning around the whole subject of dreams. And on the back of the worship we've just had, it feels like God's been doing something among us and in us. I just want to speak straight into that. So I think God is... Wanting to, as I was saying this morning, cause us, <laughs> uh, cause us to dream again. <laughs> God's wanting us to dream again. And I think through the pandemic and through different things that have been going on in our lives, it's like our lives have shrunk right down. And for a season that is okay. But part of what I'm believing for this weekend is a a shaking up again of fresh faith and desire and dreams from God. Uh, As I prayed just a few moments ago, I think God's wanting to take the dreams that we've carried for our lives. There's not necessarily anything wrong with those dreams, but by the power of the Spirit, God wants to blow on those dreams and expand them and enlarge them. And that's what I believe is going to happen as we return to the story of Joseph this evening. But it's not all plain sailing. Uh, As I kind of pointed out in my one point this morning, the dreams God gives us often turn out very differently to what we'd expected. And I know that perhaps resonated with a few people in the room I now want to take it a bit further, and as I give you my other three points, it might not sound so promising, but I'm still believing the Spirit of God is going to be coming and breathing and blowing on us, uh, but earthed in a degree of reality, not hype. Uh, Laying hold of the dreams of God, it sounds glorious, but it is not without battle and fight. Uh, And so I want to tell it as it is. But even through that, God's going to increase our dreams this evening. So it often turns out different. We can also expect no end of difficulty and delay, although in the end, the dreams of God are definitely better. So different, difficult, delayed, but definitely better. Let's begin with a dose of difficulty. Uh, If you remember from this morning, sorry if you missed this morning, we we spent the best part of half an hour telling the story of Joseph, referring to pages and pages of scripture. That was this morning. I'm going to rely on that. I am going to refer to the Bible, but really riffing on the story we looked at this morning. But as we saw this morning, Joseph sees this picture in his mind's eye of his family bowing down to him. But through it all, he doesn't see the slavery. He doesn't see Potiphar's wife falsely accusing him of sexual assault. He doesn't see the years in prison. He doesn't see having his ethnic identity erased by an imperial culture. He doesn't see the death of his mother before he could say goodbye to her. He sees all of the good and none of the bad. He sees all the glory, but none of the suffering that precedes it. 
Now, I'm guessing, speculating here, it doesn't actually say in the Bible, this is me reading into it, but I'm guessing God didn't reveal those bits because Joseph couldn't have coped with knowing it. it. It would have just crushed him. Or maybe God did tell him, but Joseph just kind of filtered that bit out because he didn't like the sound of it. Either way, I think probably all of us do that to some extent, don't we? If you're anything like me, when you get a dream or a vision for the future, you kind of romanticize it. Most of us imagine a future that is an escape from reality and not a genuine future reality. It's always this place where all of my problems will disappear and it's all going to be so incredibly easy and so happy all of the time. It's a bit like marriage. Now, bear with me on this. <laughs> Don't hear me wrong. Very happily married most of the time. There's nothing wrong, most of the time, nothing wrong with wanting to get married. But when you're single, the temptation is to romanticize it in your mind's eye. It's, it'll be like this, it'll be like that. He'll be so amazing. She'll be the perfect fit for me. I love Tim Keller's take on marriage. He says that every single person on the planet is a bad fit for you. It's just that some are a lot worse than others. <laughs> or as the Apostle Paul puts it, those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this. And the reason we don't go into marriage anticipating a whole load of difficulty is actually why I think the divorce rates are sky high. So many people go into marriage with stars in their eyes. They, they don't so much fall in love with a person, they fall in love with an idealized picture of that person which nobody, however perfect, could ever possibly live up to or match. And it's not that marriage is a bad thing, it's good, but it's also way, way, way harder than people ever imagine. And by the way, just to acknowledge that the same is true of singleness. That too is an experience that some people look at with these rose-tinted spectacles, seeing all the freedom, but for all the opportunities that singleness provides, it also has its unique difficulties and pains. Singleness, like marriage, like any good thing, is way harder at times than we could ever possibly imagine. Listen, having this kind of romanticized view of life where everything will always be swimmingly easy, where there'll never be any pain, that God will always make things turn out as we want, that is a path that always leads to disappointment, disillusionment, eventually doubt, and despair, because life in the real world is not like that. Yes, God gives us dreams, he promises us blessing, but in the midst of difficulty and opposition, persecution, pain, suffering, setback, calamity, even death. We tend to think of life, don't we, as this straight, linear route to success, where everything will just keep getting better and better and better and better. But the reality is, life's not like that. You know, back in 1996, 
when Church Central was planted, we had some, <laughs> better than the picture this morning, we had some big promises from God. God had promised many people for us in the city of Birmingham. He said we'd be like a national exhibition centre for the display of God's glory. We dreamt of the day. Oh, yes, they're, they're just saying, look who it is. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> it had hair back then. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> Who knew? Well, now you know. Uh, anyway, uh, God promised us, uh, many people in the city, we, we dreamt of the day when Jesus would be the most talked about person in Birmingham. We, we dreamt of being for the good of our city. We, we dreamt of impacting nations. Now, in my youthful naivety, I kind of translated that to mean that we would grow into a church of thousands in no time at all, that that we'd be planting churches left, right and centre every year, that we'd kind of ride in and be the saviour that all the other churches in Birmingham have been waiting for. But it hasn't quite worked out like that, largely because I filtered all that God had said through my own personal pretty warped view of how success would be measured. And as a result, when it's been difficult and painful and discouraging, as it has been for the majority of the 9,814 days since we first moved to plant the church, there have been many times when I've questioned whether perhaps I'd got it all wrong. But what I've come to see over the years is that God actually allows us to face difficulty to test whether we're still willing to trust and obey him and to force us all the time to rely on him rather than on ourselves. I'm bringing this right up to date. Some of us are still processing the very real disappointment of the closure of Church Central West. I think it's important to say is that when circumstances don't work out as we'd hoped or expected, it doesn't automatically mean that we have failed. Undoubtedly, always there are lessons for us to learn. And without in any way wishing to underplay how painful it still is, I don't think of Church Central West as a failure because it was birthed out of obedience and faith. And even though, let's be honest, it didn't work out as we'd hoped or expected, I do believe that God is still honoured and delighted, has a smile on his face when we step out with obedience and faith. Quite apart from all the fruit, even in this room, there's been that is going to last into eternity. And dare I say, if we haven't got many stories of things not working out, maybe we aren't risking enough. Question is, will we keep trusting and obeying God even when it's difficult? Because if we're going to lay hold of all the dreams that God's giving us, we do need to be willing to embrace difficulty. So, different, difficult. Next, we need to be willing to live with delay. Now, do the maths with me. There are Eight chapters in the story covering upwards of 22 years between Joseph's dream 
and the fulfillment of the dream. Joseph is 17 when he dreams. He's 30 when he becomes the ruler of Egypt, but another nine years go by, seven years of plenty, two years of famine, before the dream even begins to start coming to pass. And do you notice that one line we, we just glanced at this morning at the beginning of chapter 41? It says, when two whole years had passed. That's just a throwaway comment. Think about it. For two years, Joseph is sitting in his prison cell. Now, in the kids' work this morning, they embellished it slightly, talking about what it would have been like in the prison cell with all the rats and all the other stuff. It was pretty bleak for two years. Chat with your kids or the kids you uh, sit with for breakfast, what they think that prison cell was like. You'll get a picture of what it might have been like for Joseph. Can you imagine what he would have been feeling during that time? Just sitting in prison, no word from God, alone, no hope of release, grinding it out day after day, just waiting. When God gives us a dream, very often it feels very immediate. But we need to remember that to God, a day is like a thousand years. And in my experience, very often, the bigger the dream, the longer the wait for it to come to birth. If it's a small dream, it might be a bit quicker. But either way, we need to be prepared for delay. Usually it takes way longer than we expect. And waiting's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's really hard. In a recent staff prayer meeting, Chris Yeo shared a picture from the world of Formula One, which he confessed he was no great expert in, but he spoke about how the racing cars are designed with regenerative braking, so that slowing down increases the power to then go faster. And he also spoke about how it's necessary to come into the pits in order to change tyres when the driving conditions change. Again, it can feel like delay, but it's actually to enable you to go faster. The message is, do not despise the times when it feels like the brakes are on or when we're in the pits. Those times are essential to propel us towards the future that God has for us. If you want to see our dreams fulfilled, we must be willing to embrace delay. But there's this phrase, keeps cropping up in the Bible, that over time I've grown to love. It's just this, the appointed time. You read about it in the Old Testament and in the New. If there's a dream that comes from God, then there is an appointed time for it to come to pass. There's almost always a time gap between the conception of the dream and its eventual birth. Really like any pregnancy that progresses healthily, there is a long period of gestation and waiting, followed by the pain, the suffering of labor, followed by new life that eventually makes it all worthwhile. Still tough, but worthwhile. Some of you perhaps need to hear this. If your dream is from God... Not all dreams are, but if it is from God, there is an appointed time when it will come to pass. 
And when the dream finally materializes, it is definitely better. When Joseph's dream eventually came to pass, it's different, it's more difficult, it's delayed, but it's definitely better than he ever could have expected. If you remember, Joseph's interpretation of the dream way back in the beginning was really all about his own glory. Like his ego is just dripping off the page in chapter 37. And in all honesty, he did get glory eventually, but it certainly came at a pretty high cost. It came after decades of suffering and pain and rejection, seemingly being forgotten, real humiliation at times. But here's the thing. In the end, the dream wasn't actually about Joseph at all. It was about a much larger, global, historic story that God was weaving across nations and continents and generations. It was about saving the family of God for the family line to eventually usher in the Messiah, not just of Israel, but the whole world, to eventually one day put all things right. And you know what? Although perhaps we tend to miss this, the reality is any dream that God gives us is about something much bigger than us. It's not about our glory. It's about His. It's not actually for our benefit, but the benefit of others. It's not worked out individually. It's brought about in community. It's for the building up of the church and the advance of the kingdom of God. And it's to do with ultimately one day ushering in the return of the Messiah at the very end of time to finally and fully put everything right. But before God can bring the dream to pass, like he did with Joseph, he has to strip it of all of our ego and our idolatry. That's what God does. He takes our dreams that tend to be all about us and our own glory, and he'll make us wait as long as it takes. He'll make us face disappointment. Things won't go exactly as we'd hoped. We'll live in this confusing, frustrating, bewildering in-between state. But what happens in that waiting period is, if we allow God into it, we'll grow and mature into the kind of people who can then steward the fulfillment of that dream with real wisdom and humility and Christ-like character. It's like God does some of his very best work in us during those seasons of waiting. Because when people have dreams come to pass too early, it's rarely a good thing. You see, they don't have the character yet to steward it or even fully enjoy it. Because all the point, at that point, it's just an idol. It's born out of a sense of entitlement. And both are really bad options. And so first of all, God has to deal with the idolatry of the dream. So often the dream becomes our God rather than a gift from God. We want the dream more than we want the God who's the giver 
of the dream. We, we think that the dream will satisfy us and make us content when really no dream can do that. Only God can do that. And you don't have to wait for that in the future. No, he's available to you right here, right now, even this evening. Now that line in Philippians, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We tend to absolutely butcher that verse. We we tend to rip it completely out of context and make it like this self-help mantra about being able to do whatever we want. But in context, Paul's writing about contentment. He's saying, I've been poor, I've had plenty. And through it all, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment in the here and now is a huge challenge. And the only way to find that is through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And so, whether it feels like your dreams are coming true, or maybe you feel completely abandoned and forgotten, wherever you're at, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you keep on looking to Jesus, you can know this deep contentment that transcends any and every circumstance. If you stay close to him, you'll be able to live what Paul called and Jesus referred to as the life to the full, right here, right now. So there's a pattern. God will often allow the dream to die in order to free our heart from the need for it to come true, to bring us to a place where we're content with God himself. And then, and really only then, are we ready for the fulfillment? We're finally ready to enjoy it as a gift. At that point, we're full of gratitude. Really, all the entitlement is gone. We're ready to steward the dream with wisdom, humility, and Christ-like character. That's why I think so often, the dream often goes through this cycle of death, burial, and resurrection. Just like, obviously, Jesus himself did. That there's a death to the dream. Uh, an Abraham and Isaac kind of moment, that there's often a burial. You, you feel like it's over. But then frequently, not always, but frequently, if the dream is from God, there is a glorious resurrection. And when it springs back to life, it's never the same. It's always better. Not necessarily better by our own human metrics, but better in all the ways that matter most. And we find that it was more than worth the wait. And you know what? Very often, the best thing about a dream coming to pass isn't actually the dream coming to pass. It's that you have been changed through the process. I think one of the most telling things in the story of Joseph is that his brothers didn't even recognize him. I think that's what God wants to do with you as well. He'll transform you if you open up your life to his dream and you wait. And decades often go by, but all the time he'll be at work changing you to become more like his son, 
so that in the end, people won't even recognize you. So to recap, different, more difficult, delayed, but definitely better. I'd argue that is a biblical theology of dreams. I think you can lay this template over pretty much any character who had a dream in the Bible. Moses and his dream of the Exodus. David and his dream of the temple. Paul, his dream of being an apostle to the Gentiles. Whatever it is, God's people have always been dreamers. As I said at the beginning, I think this weekend is an awakening moment. And to mix mix the metaphors, an awakening moment and a call to dream. (laughs) And to dream well. To dream way bigger than the tired, old, uncreative, self-centered dreams that perhaps we've grasped hold of up until now. Some of you, you need to start dreaming. And tonight, this weekend, it's just an invitation for you to begin opening up your mind, your imagination, your heart. And let God not just strip you down, but reseed in your heart a prophetic imagination. Not just for you and your future, but for the future of the church and the role that God has for you to play in it. Others of you, you've had a dream. Maybe it's been through the burial phase. It's been ages since you even dared to think about it. It's too painful to think about it. Maybe you thought it was a mistake or too late or for whatever reason you'd blown it. But right now, perhaps God is stirring something deep inside you all over again. I want to appeal to you. When you open up your heart, open up your mind to the Holy Spirit, allow him to reignite faith for those old dreams. And when it's different, trust God. When it's difficult, cling to God. When it's delayed, don't give up. Keep on persevering. You know, so many people don't experience the fulfillment of a dream because they bail out. But in the language of Hebrews, we inherit the promises through faith and patience. And in the end, when it's better, praise God and give him all the glory. I'll close with this. Some of you thought that was the end. Not quite. (laughs) I'll close with this. Last year was the 25th anniversary of being married. Happy most of the time, yeah? And, And the 25th anniversary of planting Church Central. Back then, uh, yeah, uh, worthy of applause as well. The planting of this church, or these churches, is part of a wave of church plants right across the Midlands as part of a prophetic dream from someone called Dave Devonish to see a whole region of churches planted across the Midlands by the year 2000. We moved as part uh, of that mission to see the, the, the churches right across the Midlands. Now, as I look back on all that God did back then and has done in and through this church since. In recent times, I felt God stirring faith all over again for a fresh wave of church planting, not just across the Midlands, but across Birmingham. As many of you all know, in more recent years, I've had the joy of 
partnering with other churches in the city under the uh, umbrella of 2020 Birmingham. The basic vision, see 20 churches planted in a range of different churches, different streams, denominations, 20 churches planted by the year 2020. We, We hit it. And over the next decade, no longer called 2020 Birmingham, but the Birmingham Collective, we're believing for a further 30. 20 plus 30 makes 50. My question is, how many of those churches will be sent out by Church Central? Just so you know, we want to be responsive to unexpected opportunities that God opens up for us. We're also starting to think behind the scenes just a little more strategically about reaching the unreached and the harder to reach in our city. You know, there are whole communities in our city that are unlikely to ever be reached by us simply doing things the way we have up until now. So we're looking to multiply simpler, smaller, and swifter. We want to develop models that are more easily reproducible way more contextualized. And for the record, we also want to keep sending people to the nations. It's not just about Birmingham. In short, we still dream of the day when Jesus will be the most talked about person in our city. We still dream of being for the good of our city. We still dream of impacting nations. And to that end, I want to invite you to play your part in turning those bigger dreams into a reality.